So hopefully you're there in Exodus 16. This morning we are just going to see the importance of God's word. The importance of how we should be gleaning God's word. How often we should be doing it. How we should be doing it. What time of the day we should be doing it. That's the example and the admonition for us. So Exodus chapter 16 We'll read verses 1 through 3. It tells us, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's not literally the wilderness of Sin. It's the wilderness of Sinai. That can even be translated for us, the wilderness of Zin with a Z. But it's taken from the word Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th and the day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, it's so interesting. Verse 1, it tells us here, it's basically been one month, one month, since the nation of Israel was freed from their oppressors in Egypt, and they've gone through their journey in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 18, you could just write that down. It tells us, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening. This is when the Passover started. So this tells us month 1, day 14, and now we're in month 2, day 15. So it's been one month since they've been freed from their oppressors for 430 years. They've seen the 10 plagues of Israel happen. They've seen the Red Sea ripped in half and smashed upon their enemies. And one month later, it tells us that they're complaining against the Lord. Complaining against the Lord, right? It tells us the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, each of us, we've been at different family parties, different family functions. And we kind of got an idea of what's the sound of complaining in the corner, right? You have that little group of people and they're complaining in the corner. Imagine the sound of two million people complaining all at once, right? The chatter there. Maybe Moses and Aaron, they're in their tent trying to plan, trying to meet, trying to spend time with the Lord. And then they hear, right, the chumeria all around. Two million people complaining about what's going on. Again, it's been one month. The last chapter, right, one page over, verse 15. Moses, he breaks out into song. Miriam, she breaks out into song. All the women of Israel, they grab their tambourines, their timbrels, and they're dancing along all the pathways of these tents. There's so much joy within the camp. And yet one chapter afterwards, they're wishing that God would have killed them in Egypt. What's going on, right? Who are the real children of Israel here? We read this quote last time we were in Exodus. Charles Spurgeon, he tells us, It had not yet been demonstrated by testing whether the children of Israel were a worshiping people who occasionally murmured or if they were a murmuring people who occasionally worshiped. Again, that's a great question for ourselves. Lord, who am I? Am I that occasional worshiper who is constantly murmuring and complaining? Or, Lord, am I that constant worshiper 
that every once in a while, Lord, I murmur. I complain. And we know through the book of Psalms, we know that throughout Scripture, it is normal for human beings to complain. But family, what is our mouth most used to? Is it giving honor and glory to God? Is it thanksgiving and praise, right? All throughout the epistles, throughout the New Testament, it's always singing psalms of thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord. Having a heart and attitude of thanksgiving and gladness and gratefulness to the Lord. So again, even today, are we announcing our complaints to God and everyone around us? Or are we announcing the gratitude and thanksgiving that we have to the Lord? The whole congregation. And here it gives us the idea, the perspective of the congregation. They thought that they were complaining against Moses and Aaron. But we're going to see later on what God has seen. And again, their perspective. Their perspective is so skewed. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat down by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. It reminds me, there was an article published, I think it was like a year ago. And it was telling us about deceitful pictures for Airbnbs. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, right? They take the picture up close to the pool and you're like, oh my goodness, this place has an infinity pool. The size of the church building, it's incredible. And then they show the back part and it's basically like a tarp with water in it and a hole. And they just put the camera right in front of it, right? And by reading this, you think, oh my goodness, Egypt was the best place ever. You're laying around and you're just stuffed with Cuban bread. There's pots of lechon and right everywhere you go, churrasco. Man, Egypt was incredible. But again, their perspective was completely off. They've forgotten about being enslaved for 400 years. They forgot about being beaten, being murdered, right? We know Moses, he stopped one of the military men from killing and murdering one of the Hebrew people. They've forgotten about their newborn baby boys being thrown into the Nile River. They have completely forgotten about the bondage that they were living in. And family, we see that today. There are many believers who want to turn back to the former way they were living, forgetting what it was really like. I pray if there's anyone here this morning and you're teeter-tottering, right? I just want to go back to the former way. Forget about going to church all the time. Forget about reading my Bible. Forgetting about loving others. Forget about Jesus. My life used to be so much better. Be careful. As often skewed as the perspective of the nation of Israel is right now, oftentimes our perspective can be skewed and manipulated by the enemy, right? Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord. Again, they're saying, God, it would have been better if you would have killed us that pass overnight. Lord, why did you give us a way out? Why did you give us the lamb that we could sacrifice, that we could put the blood on the door and the lentil, that we would be saved? Lord, you should have killed us. And again, their perspective was completely off. Verse 4 and 5, right? Hey, if you were God, if I was God, what would we have done? Right? If we're honest, we've done all this work for these people, and now all they can do is complain. Verse 4 and 5, the mercy and grace of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day 
that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now again, through this, we're finding out the nation of Israel, it's not like they're going through starvation. It's not like their stomachs are bloated out of starvation. Just the anticipation that they will be hungry, they begin to complain and to have right this complaint and murmur for God within their hearts. And we got to be careful of that. Sometimes we just have this anticipation, man, what's going to happen in a week? What's going to happen in a month? What's going to happen in six months? And now our hearts can instantly turn to complaint and murmuring when we take a step back and take into account, okay, what do I have today? How's my life today? What did I do today? What did I eat today? Did I have AC today? Right? All these things. We can realize, wow, Lord, I have nothing to complain about. But the sheer anticipation of what I might go through can lead us into sin. So now God says, again, a good and gracious God, okay, I'm going to make it rain bread from heaven down to earth. And now they must gather it, and it's going to be a test whether they will walk in my law or not. And again, trials... And God's word reveals to us who we really are. Again, the nation of Israel, God just destroyed all their enemies. They're praising. They're excited. Everything is awesome, right? You can think of fair weather fans, right? Miami fans sometimes, right? We're super fair weather fans. Super fair weather fans. Hopefully not friends, right? But for the nation of Israel, one moment they're praising. They're loving God so much. The next moment they're complaining. And the trials reveal to us who we really are. Who we really are. And now God's word, it tells us he's going to test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And now the great test that was going to come, it's found in verse 5. They were to gather this bread raining down from heaven every day. And now on the sixth day, they were supposed to gather twice as much. And again, God's word, it's a great test to us. And it's going to reveal to us Who do you love most? Who do you love most? God's word, it's a great test to us. It's going to reveal to us who do you trust most? And finally, God's word, it's going to reveal to us who do you respect the most? Right? Different things in life happen. Maybe when you first got married, the test, you didn't realize it or not, but the test was do you love your new wife? Or do you love mama more, right? And that was the great test. That was the great friction within your marriage. Who do you really love most, right? Who did you say for better or for worse to? To your mom or to your new wife, right? Sometimes it's a great test. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, this is what you got to do. And then you go home. Your friend of a friend of a friend says, hey, I saw this one time online. And you say, I'm going to go with that, right? I trust that friend of a friend more than my own doctor, Or here's one. I've stopped doing this, right? You go to a restaurant and you ask the waiter, hey, what would you order? They say some random dish and like, nah, I'm not going to go with that. I'm just going to get this, that, or the third, right? It's revealing to us with our obedience, it's going to go to whoever we love most or whoever we trust most or whoever we respect the most. And family, God's word, when we have God in none of those three places, it will lead to sin. It's going to lead to missing the mark. 
Because being obedient to God, walking in the truth of God's word is going to free us and protect us from sin. But now if we're saying, God, your word, I don't really love it that much. I'm going to do what I want to do instead. Lord, I love you. Lord, I care about you. But I really like this girl. I really like this guy. So I'm, I'm going to go with what they want to do. And finally, who you respect the most, right? God, I know this is what your word says, but man, I'm really trying to impress this boss. I'm really trying to impress these friends. Lord, I respect them. I want their regard more than I want your regard, oh Lord. Again, that's just a practical way for us to look at God's word and our obedience to the Lord. Verse 6, it tells us, Then Moses and Aaron, they say to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaint against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Again, interesting scriptures here. Had God not done enough for the nation of Israel to recognize that it was God who had brought them out of Egypt? Had God not done enough, right? The ten plagues, the Red Sea, all that had gone on. And now verse 6, God says, okay, at evening they're going to realize, they're going to know that I'm the one that brought them out of Egypt. David Guzik, he says, one would think that with the experience of the plagues, the experience of the Passover, the deliverance of the Red Sea, that Israel would already know that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Yet experiences, even great experiences, don't change the heart as much as we often think. Sometimes we think if we have a great experience that our lives are going to be dramatically changed and altered, right? I had this experience and it was incredible. So from here on out, man, my walk with God is going to be different. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And what we need to realize, the only one that can change the heart, it's not an experience. It's not the ranch. It's not the Hyatt. It's not a stake and study. The only one who can change the heart is the Lord. And that's why we need to continually come to God saying, Lord, create in me a new heart. We need to constantly come to God and say, Lord, change my heart. Take away my heart of stone and my heart of thorns. And Lord, give me a heart of flesh. We need to be careful with just defining our walk with the Lord with experiences. Right? You can think of marriages. Even kids for our birthdays, right? If you're a kid here and you try to think of your adolescence, your childhood, whether it was good or not. Do you just judge it on your birthdays, right? If the other 364 days of the year, your parents are just jerks to you, super mean to you. But hey, on your birthday, they gave you ice cream cake. They gave you a PS5 or whatever it may be, right? As you look back on your life, you say, man, my parents loved me so much. Right? Spouses here, married people. Do you judge your marriage based on your anniversary and wedding day, right? Do you have a great marriage? Yeah, my husband told me that he loved me one time, right? A couple times. One time a year, he tells me that he loves me. Oh, our marriage is so incredible, right? This is the experience that one time we went on our honeymoon. Oh, it was so amazing. Our marriage is incredible. No. It's every day. The love day by day by day. The time we spend with that person is how our life will change. And it's the same thing with the Lord. We need to be careful with just judging our walk with Jesus based on experiences. We'll see that later on from Jesus himself. Now verse 7, 
it tells us, hey, you're going to see the glory of God in the morning. Now, this wasn't the physical manifestation of his glory as Moses would see or as Moses' face would be glowing afterwards. But God providing for our physical needs, family, is a manifestation of his glory. Has God provided for each and every one of your needs? Your needs, not your wants, not your desires. Has God provided for our needs this morning? Anyone here hungry? Anybody here have a stomach that's growing because it's been so long since you've eaten, right? Anyone thirsty because you haven't had anything to drink? Anyone have no roof over their head? Has the Lord not provided for our needs? That glory should be given to Him. Not to us, but unto Him. And then finally, verse 7, right? Here Moses and Aaron, they're realizing, in verse 8, God's going to tell them to their faces, hey, you're not murmuring and complaining about Moses and Aaron, but you are complaining about me. You're complaining about the Lord. Again, family, we have to be so careful with our complaints. Oftentimes we think that we're just complaining about a person, but really... We're complaining to the Lord, right? Again, this season is so interesting. Me and a friend were joking, right? We hear people saying more than ever before, right? God is still on the throne, right? No matter who the president is, God is still on the throne. I just didn't hear that many people saying that last year, right? Or two years ago. Or three years ago, right? We got to be careful who we're complaining about. Because if we believe God's on the throne and he's the one who puts people in specific places... As Moses and Aaron, if we're just complaining about the people, God is saying, hello, remember me, right? Remember all that scripture. Remember who you say that I am, that I am sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful. I put kings and I take kings down. I put governments and I take governments down. Who are we really complaining about? We need to go to the Lord with our complaints, not to one another, not to Facebook, not to our meme generator, right? That's not who we should be going to with our complaints. But go with our complaints to the Lord. And that's exactly what God tells them in verse 9 and 10. Then Moses spoke to Aaron and he said, Say to all the congregation of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Again, come near before the Lord. He has heard our complaints. It's so important for us family. If we have a complaint about someone, take it to the Lord first. Have a complaint about something in your life. Take it to the Lord first. If we do that, it's going to protect us from sin. It's going to protect us from bitterness. It's going to protect us from resentment or gossip. And it's biblically what we should be doing with our complaints. Again, the Lord isn't saying it's sin for us to have complaints within our hearts. Just like God tells us, it's not sin for us to be angry within our hearts. But now what we do with these emotions, now that path can lead to the path of more and more holiness, being like the Lord, or more and more sin, being like this world. And now the Lord, He brings His glory. He reappears with His glory within the cloud. Verse 11, now the Lord speaks to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, now He's giving them the commandments, at twilight you shall eat meat, 
And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. I'm going to give you a new diet, guys. This is what you're going to do, right? In the morning, you're going to load up with carbs. And at night, you're going to load up with meat and protein. And at the end of verse 12, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and they covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted... There on the surface of the wilderness, there was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer. For each person according to the number of persons. And let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. And so when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's needs. Again, this is how God now provides for the nation of Israel. There in the Mediterranean Sea, along the Red Sea, along the coast there, in the Red Sea, as the birds go and they pass through their migration through that area, many times they lie down and they come to rest there in specific areas. So now God, he does a special work here. Maybe he gets them extra tired, right? And now all of a sudden, all these quails land right there in the midst of these two million people. I would have loved to have seen that first day, right? How they all acted and reacted. Imagine you're crazy hungry. You don't know where your food's going to come from. And all of a sudden, just a flock of turkeys and chickens just land all over your front yard and backyard. Now, some of us wouldn't know what to do. But hey, that's what we should be imagining, right? Imagine a Boston Market truck breaks down right in front of your house, right? That's what's happening here. The second thing that it tells us is now this, what is it, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a camp and the lunch lady just put something right on your plate and you're just staring at it and you're saying, what is it, right? That's basically what the nation of Israel is doing here, except it wasn't this gross, but it's like, dude, I have no clue what in the world this is. It tells us that in the morning, as the dew would be out and as the dew would be evaporated then all of a sudden there'd be this white powdery substance that'd be so small later on they'll tell us it's as small as coriander seeds and they would gather it each morning for each person for their own tent again it's interesting because God did not issue a tribal gathering he didn't say hey the whole nation should go out and gather for one another He didn't say, hey, this tribe of Israel, you gather for this tribe of Israel. He didn't even issue a family gathering. He said each man had to gather according to each one's needs. And again, as this is an example, as this is a type for our own admonition, family, each morning we are to gather from God's word, each of us for our own selves. That's what we're to do. But okay, practically, what does this look like? It tells us that they would gather in Omer, right? I don't know how many of you you measure your food in Omers, but in Omer, it's about six pints. Six pints, Joe Fool, she's the one that breaks down all this math. He loves logistics in the book of Exodus. But in Omer, it's six pints. And if you have about two million people, that would be 
12 million pints. You guys are great at math, right? 12 million pints. Six pints, two million people. That equals about 9,000 pounds of what is it every morning, which equals to 4,500 tons every day of what is it, right? That would equal 10 trains with 30 train cars with 15 pounds of manna every single day. Again, think about the amount of food that God is providing for the nation of Israel. Last night we had a, a servants meeting for those who are currently serving, and it's a lot of food. It's a lot of planning, it's a lot of preparation, it's a lot of phone calls. Now think about two million people. It's about 4,500 tons of food a day. And on Friday, because Saturday was the Sabbath, we'll look at it in a moment, God would now pour out 9,000 tons of manna out there in the wilderness, right? There's no way trying to say that it's this sap or this tree or that it's anything else. And then in verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it until morning. So again, God says, hey, every morning you need to gather for what you need that day and don't leave any for the next morning. Again, it's the same for us biblically when it comes to the word of God. We can't think, hey, I have an hour today. I usually read 15 minutes a day, so... I'm going to get enough of the Lord for the next four days, right? If we're honest, we do that. I used to go to the Japanese buffets, right? My family, they've taught us to be very analytical when you go to a buffet. I don't know if you guys went through this training as a kid. But you go to the hibachi and you put all your food down. Then you go, you get a plate of food while they're cooking the hibachi. So then you go back to your table and you have two plates of food. And you don't have to get up again. If we're honest, this is how we would treat this. And this is how oftentimes we think we can treat the word of God. I went to church on Wednesday, so I'm good. I'm good for a few days, right? I've had enough of God's word. I read my Bible today. I've had enough of God's word. I don't have to come back tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. I'm full. I don't have to go back in line. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. But what God is showing us here through the nation of Israel is the only way that we are to gather God's word for us, for our lives, for our devotional life, our time alone with the Lord, is each and every morning. Each and every morning, as much as we need. And verse 20 again, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them, they left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted away. Right? Imagine that conversation in the tent. I don't know how many of you guys go camping, right? Camping, some people they love it, some people they don't love it so much. I've gone camping a handful of times and I get bothered when there's sand in the tent, right? Now imagine if there's rotting food with worms and maggots in your tent, right? Think about the conversation with the husband and wife there. Why don't you listen to Moses, right? What in the world are you doing there, right? And trying to gather enough for tomorrow, for the next day, it it goes bad. It goes rancid. It also tells us in verse 21 that if they didn't gather in the morning, by the time the sun came out, it melted away. And again, I know. Most of us, what's comfortable, what's natural for us is to stay awake late at night, right? Any night owls here, right? I'm a natural night owl. Just me, left to my natural devices, I'll stay awake till late at night. It's easy to stay awake late at night. It's easy to wake up late in the day. 
But I love it how one of the scholars put it. When I spend that time with the Lord early in the morning, I find my conversations with God right before going to bed a lot smaller, a lot shorter, and a lot sweeter, right? Then having waited till the end of the day to spend time with God, then it's a whole lot more, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry for doing that. Man, that's a great verse that I should have applied earlier in the day, right? All throughout Scripture, there's promises to the one who seeks him early in the morning. And again, it all goes back to who we love most, who we trust most, who we respect most, right? Those days when you were courting or when you were dating and, man, the girl of your dreams, the guy of your dreams, man, honey, I'm sorry, I'm working. I'm working from afternoon all the way till night. The only time I have is early in the morning. Ah, we'll make it, right? We'll make it happen. Sunrise at the beach, ah, we'll make it happen, right? Before the Lord, how my flesh just wants to complain. Lord, when it's convenient, then I will do it. Lord, when it's easy, then I will do it. Lord, when I'm perfect and I have a perfect record every single day, Lord, then I will do it. Again, that's not the way that we should be approaching our time reading God's word. And one of the greatest problems within our nation and within the church today is that we are illiterate when it comes to the things of God. We're illiterate. We don't know God's word, right? You have college professors telling people, man, I love the scripture. God helps those to help themselves, right? Do you guys know where that is in scripture? I hope not because it's not in scripture. It's nowhere in scripture, right? But our world, it's illiterate. It doesn't read God's word. That's why it's so important for us as seasoned believers to be able to break down God's word simply. We use gospel, right? Hallelujah, amen, baptism, all these big words. Are we able to break it down so that a child can understand it? Because then anyone can understand it, right? We need to be in God's word with God himself each morning. Spending the time that we can with him. And again, it shouldn't be an obligation. He's not some type of commander up there that's saying, okay, how much time? Tick tock, 15 minutes, that's all you got for me today? All right, man. Hopefully you have a good day. Hopefully you make it today, right? That's not God. That's not what he's saying. But if we're treating him with our love and our heart, man, he's going to see that. But we need to be in God's word. The problem is that we think, man, if I don't spend the day in God's word, it's not going to kill me. I've done it a handful of times. It's a handful of times, you know. But hey, yeah, I'm still alive. I'm still here today. Right? The question is, hey, if you don't brush your teeth every morning, will you live? Will you survive? Maybe not with your spouse. But man, would you live? Would you survive, right? If you didn't brush your teeth this morning, anybody here? No, right? Does anyone like that, right? We would survive. We'd be okay, but we make it a habit. Man, I have to brush my teeth because I'm afraid what my spouse is going to say, what my kids are going to say, my boss, my halitosis, right? I'm afraid what my breath is going to say by itself. But for us to spend that time in God's word. Verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Now they gathered two omers, right? Those 12 pints. For each one, and all the rulers of the congregation, they came and they told Moses, and then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil today, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink. 
and nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath, a day of rest unto the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now what happened, we see how they apply it. Now it happened that some of them went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Again, the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Verse 29, see the Lord has given you the Sabbath. God loved the nation of Israel so much that he gave them a day to just rest and relax and be in the presence of God. Rest and relax and spend time with the Lord. I'm going to make it rain twice as much manna on Friday. Don't worry about it. Gather. It's not going to go rotten Friday night. So that the next day you can just spend time alone in the tent. Again, family, we need to be careful about just going and going and going and going. Man, working five days, six days, seven days a week. Are there eight days? Can I make more? Be careful with that. Need to spend time in rest with the Lord, right? Not with the boat, not in the backyard. No, with the Lord in God's word. In verse 31, again, the grace of God. And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Again, the grace of God, he's given us taste buds, right? He's created us like this. Cows, animals, they just eat the same thing every single day, right? He could have made us like that. Grass in the morning, grass in the evening, grass at supper time, right? He could have made us like that. We'd probably be a little bit healthier maybe, but no, right? He's given us taste buds to enjoy these things. And again, in the grace of God, he made it taste like wafers made with honey, right? Those vanilla crackers, you get them a little sweeter, put them on vanilla ice cream. I don't know what it tasted like, but hey, he made it sweet. He didn't make it taste like spinach. He could have made it taste like broccoli, could have made it taste like Brussels sprouts or like beets, right? If you love all those things, we'll pray for you, right? He could have made it taste like any of those things, right? But he makes it taste like wafers made with honey. Again, the sweetness of our God. And we know that they ate this for 40 years, right? Some of us, we have conversations with our family about the menu, honey. You got to change this up, right? I'm tired of, right, you want to die, I'm tired of the chicken breast and broccoli, chicken breast and broccoli, I'm tired of this, right? 40 years, every morning manna, 40 years, every evening quail. Verse 32, then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, fill in Omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an Omer of manna in it. And lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate man of 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now in Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. 
Again, how God provided for the nation of Israel. And just miracle after miracle. Hey, if you try to keep it for the next day, it's going to go bad. It's going to spoil. But if you do it on Friday, you're doing the right thing. Now God also told Aaron, hey, I want you to get one omer and fill it with manna so that for generations and generations and generations, they would be able to see how God provided for their forefathers in the wilderness. Later on, that would go inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Again, how do we apply this to our lives today? Tomorrow morning, right, there was a fog. I don't know if you drove early this morning, you saw the fog, right? Anybody go out there in their grass and start shaking it up, right, seeing if there's anything under there? That's not how we're going to apply this to our lives. But in John chapter 6, Jesus gives us an idea, one of the ways we apply this to our lives. John chapter 6, we could turn there. John chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, this is when Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? We know there's 5,000 men, so it could have been even more than that. Jesus has just fed more than 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And he's done this great work, so now the multitudes begin to follow him everywhere he's going. They cross the Sea of Galilee. They see, right? I don't know how they got binoculars or whatnot, but they see him cross the Sea of Galilee, and now they run around the coast to meet him there. Then in verse 22, it tells us, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats, and now they come to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers, they ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Again, Jesus is here and he's having a difficult conversation with the multitudes. He's saying, you're following me not because I did miracles. You're following me because I put food in your bellies. You guys are following me because it's convenient for you, because it's easier for you, because life is better just because you're following me. But now what Jesus tells them is if you want the true bread of heaven, if you really want to work the works of God, if you really want the blessed life, you need to fill yourself with the bread of God, which is Jesus who gives life to this world. Again, family, every day we need to spend 
time with Jesus. Every day we need to spend time gathering for ourselves from Christ, from the Lord. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Right? They ask him for a sign. He just fed 5,000 people. They didn't realize it. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up to the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, family, every morning we should be spending time with Jesus. He's the bread of life. He's the everlasting life. This is the only food. This is the only meat. This is the only purpose that we will do and not thirst again. Again, every morning in his word, we don't need a mediator, right? Devotional books, they're awesome. They're great to read, but that should not be our only time with the Lord, Oswald Chambers, he's great, he's awesome. Tozer, he's awesome, he's great. But we need to be spending time alone with the Lord. Just him and the Word and the Holy Spirit, right? I don't know how many people miss the days of having to take a third wheel with them, right? Do you remember those days when you're dating and your parents said, hey, you need a chaperone to go with you, right? That's sometimes how I think we address our devotional life with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to meet with you. But hey, Chambers, can you like mediate for us? Can you like talk for us, right? Imagine doing that with your wife. Hey, honey, I want to spend time with you, but I'm going to bring Joe along. Hey, Joe, how's my wife feeling? Joe talks to your wife. Now Joe talks back to you. This is how your wife is feeling. Oh, really? Okay, Joe, what does she want to order today, right? Sometimes that's how we treat God in our devotional life. By only going to Chambers, by only going to Tozer, by only going to the Bible app and seeing what the Bible app has for us each morning. You're putting a mediator there that doesn't need to be there. And it would be just as ridiculous to go on a date with the person you love and say, I need a mediator here, right? To see how they're feeling, to see how they're doing. So again, for us to, man, cultivate our walk and relationship with the Lord. And again, if any of us aren't saved here, if we're saved and we're trying to fulfill those needs, that thirst, that hunger with earthly things, you are always going to thirst. You're always going to hunger. No matter how many drugs, no matter how much drinking, no matter how much love or sex or lust, pornography, the next day is going to come and you're going to be hungry and you're going to be thirsty once again. But the promise that Jesus has for us is that if we come to him and believe that he is the son of God, he is the savior of mankind and we live in it, we will never thirst again. We will never hunger again. So again, family, may we grow, may we cultivate our walk and relationship with Jesus. The second way we apply this to our lives is in the physical needs that we have each day. If we're honest, most of our stress, most of our complaining, it's not on the things we actually need. 
It's usually not food and shelter and clothing, right? The things that we're complaining about, it's wants, it's desires, it's lusts, right? It's looking at the other side and coveting something else that someone has. In Matthew 6, 11, Jesus tells us to give us this day our daily bread. And the same is true for us in our physical needs. God promises to give us what we need each and every day. A great man to look at is George Mueller. And he believed every day God would give us what we need. We wouldn't have to post it. We wouldn't have to tell the whole world that God was capable of doing so. Finally, let's go to Proverbs chapter 30 in verse 7. A great reminder for us. Again, the gathering each morning, God giving us just what we need each day. It's for both our spiritual needs and also our physical needs. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. It tells us two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Again, the balance that God has for us. He doesn't want us to be at such a place and now we're doing extreme things to provide for our families. But he doesn't want us to be so filled with the things of life that we've forgotten about him. We have forgotten to call out to him and cry out to him. We've forgotten that apart from him, we can do nothing. So again, family, just as the nation of Israel, each morning they went out to gather May we, again, tomorrow morning, go out and gather. Go out, find a quiet place in your home, put your phone in another room, and just sit there and spend time with the Lord. One of the guys during the Young Adult Retreat is honest, hilarious. He's like, man, it's hard for me to spend time with God because I live in a Hispanic family and it gets pretty loud in there sometimes, right? Man, drive out to the park. Go out outside, right? Jesus said, go into your closet and pray that we would be comfortable in that psalm 91 verse 1 let's turn there and we'll close it again so important for us today where is our secret place where is the place that we are going for refuge psalm 91 verse 1 and 2 it tells us he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty i will say of the lord he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. So again, family, every morning may we go to our refuge. Every morning may we go to the one who we trust. And every morning may we go to the bread of life because we will never hunger again if we're going to him.